That's okay. It hasn't turned on yet. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the Wisdom Seekers class at the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. I am Tammy Stewart, and I am the teacher today. The title of my teaching is Jonathan, and Jonathan means Jehovah's gift. Or another way to say it would be Jehovah has given. Now, as we go through this study, you will appreciate the significance of his name. It's going to resurface and it's going to reoccur many times in his interactions with his father and his best friend David. Jonathan stands as a shining example of how to make hard choices in life, but to also consistently honor God. Now, let's start with his background first. Jonathan's family name uh, came from the tribe of Benjamin, which was located north and east of the Dead Sea in Israel. And they are noted for their heroes and their warriors. As you recall in scripture, Jacob's blessing to Benjamin before he died was that Benjamin was a ravenous wolf. They were always hungry for a fight with their enemies. From that time forward, the tribe of Benjamin has always had a very high reputation for bravery and skill in war. Now, I have a scripture that I want to read, and I apologize, it's not on your handout. I found it later. I had been looking for it, and I finally saw it on Saturday. Uh, this is from Judges 20, and it's verse 16. Among all this people, meaning the children of Benjamin or the tribe of Benjamin, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. These men of Benjamin had great skill, and they were very good marksmen. They had powerful dexterity, and they never missed. Their precision was a very close or the smallest possible amount. So I, I found that rather interesting. And remember, Saul, his father, was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he had Jonathan. So both of them were very skilled in this area. The next point. Jonathan was the eldest son of King Saul. As you know, he was the first king of Israel. And Jonathan was a prince and heir to the throne and the rulership of Israel. Jonathan had two younger brothers and also two sisters. His mother's name was Ahinoam. Jonathan's younger sister, Michal, was married to David, which made him his brother-in-law. All right, let's look at his training. As a prince, Jonathan likely had a higher education than most of the people. He was skilled in war and lived at the royal court. So it is inferred in scripture that he had many opportunities to hone his craft as a warrior. He actually started a war to free Israel from the power of the Philistines. 
he had strong leadership abilities and served as an officer in Israel's army. All the people looked up to him and they respected him as a leader. I have identified four special traits that Jonathan had. And I want to focus first on strength and swiftness. And the scripture that aligns with this is in 2 Samuel 1.23. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. When Saul and Jonathan were together and in pursuit of the enemy, the Philistines, never were they bolder, braver, and they kept close together in their stand against the enemy. And they also died together in the same cause fighting for Israel. Jonathan was a very dutiful son. And John, Saul actually was a very affectionate father. We don't talk about that much, but he was. They really loved and cherished each other. Being that Jonathan was Saul's eldest son, Jonathan truly was Jehovah's gift to him, the king. He was always consistently loyal, and he remained undivided, even in death, to his father, who was the king. Now, the next one is excellence in archery. And this is from 1 Samuel 20, verses 20 through 23. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a lad, saying, Go, find out the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them. Then thou come, for there is peace to thee, and no hurt, as the Lord liveth. But if I say thus unto the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee. Go thy way, for the Lord hath sent thee away. And as touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of, and this is uh, Jonathan talking to David, the Lord be between thee and me forever. So Jonathan was to give a sign uh, to David about how his father Saul was kind of perceiving David at that time. And uh, Jonathan would be looked upon by others that were nearby, probably in the field where he was or the forest, as just out, you know, shooting arrows for recreation. He took the lad with him because he was to pick up the arrows. If Jonathan shot short, David must take it for a signal of safety. And he was not to be afraid to come and show himself to the king. But if Jonathan shot beyond the lad, it was a signal of danger for David. And he must change direction and look out for his safety. One has to be quite uh, skillful in discharging arrows into an open field when you have an adolescent nearby. But Jonathan was able to shoot quickly at a moment's notice in releasing arrows to the place that he had marked mentally as his target. Now let's look at his last trait in this particular area. These are what I considered special traits. And you'll kind of like this one because it's rather interesting because really I had never thought about this much. Uh, it's called slinging. And it's a skill. And it's taken from First Chronicles 12, 1 through 2. Now these are they that came to David to Ziklag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. 
and they were among the mighty men helpers of the war. They were armed with bows. They could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Jonathan was adept at slinging with his right or his left hand, just as he would, could do that with the bow and arrow. And I looked this up. Um, ancient slingers were considered just as effective as archers. And they were a very important contingent of the military or of the uh, military force that they had at that time. Um, surprisingly, a good slinger hurled a stone as far and accurately as a good archer would do with a bow and arrow. Slingers are known to hurl their stones as far as 440 yards or a quarter of a mile. Even if the stone did not penetrate the armor, it was capable of inflicting a fatal internal injury. Um, in the excavations that they've done throughout Israel forever, uh, most sling stones on earth were, were roughly round because, you know, they were rocks. And they were slightly over two inches in diameter from the size of a billiard ball to a tennis ball. I know, unbelievable. Now, I'm going to shift here a little bit. Now, let's think back to David when he slew the Philistine giant. Uh, and he did that with one of five very smooth stones that he had plucked from the brook. Okay. Uh, and he put him in his traveling bag, and he had a sling shot and a staff that he carried in his hand. Because we know that David was on the hillside tending the sheep. Um, so it was much smaller than a sling stone. Obviously, if they're stones from a brook, you know, they're not very big. Um, and when he hit Goliath's forehead, that stone embedded into his forehead and instantly killed him. And really, that was a miraculous event that was ordered by God. So you've got to be very skillful even with the smaller ones as well. They weren't called sling stones, but that's what David found because he was on his way to bring lunch to his brothers, as you know from the story. Uh, let's go on. I have listed here three strengths that Jonathan had. And uh, it's not chronological what I'm doing with you today. I'm just presenting these different attributes that Jonathan had. And uh, what I found amazing was uh, we don't know a lot about Jonathan. There's probably three or four chapters in 1 Samuel. And even the chapter doesn't always talk about completely Jonathan. It just references him. But I was very impressed with what I had learned about Jonathan by studying this a little more deeply. Uh, this first strength that I want to talk about is unselfish love. Um, now, immediately prior um, to this passage of scripture where David had just killed Goliath, um, Abner, uh, that was Saul's general, uh, he brings David and Goliath's head to Saul. David was about 22 years of age at that time. And Jonathan was approximately 30 years old when they met. So let's read this scripture. It's uh, 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. 
And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. Now remember, he's 22. So to act intelligently because he had been uh, a shepherd keeping the sheep. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people. And also in the sight of Saul's servants. Saul sets David over his men of war probably as a captain. And he also used him in the affairs of government. Jonathan, who was heir to the crown knew God had spoken through the prophet Samuel and anointed David as king. Yet, he still entered into a binding agreement with David, not bearing animosity towards him, but making a lasting covenant with him. He went so far as to protect his future rival from the, for the throne. You know, most people, even today, would have considered David to be Jonathan's enemy. But he wasn't. Jonathan made a generous present to David by giving him his robe of the royal court. And instead of a staff and a, a sling or a slingshot, a sword and a bow. In place of his shepherd's bag, uh, it was either a girdle, which is like a belt, or a sash. And, um, you know, I, I recognize that probably both men had to be about the same size, Jonathan and David, if he's giving him all of his clothing and his weaponry. I don't know that, but it's kind of what I perceived when I was reading that and thinking about it and studying. But it's evident that, that Jonathan truly endeavored to perpetuate this friendship with an unselfish love. David is seen in Jonathan's clothes so that everyone would notice that he is like a second Jonathan. Now what is significant here is both the royal court and the country of Israel agreed to bless David. second point is it was also a great example of the power of God's grace in David that he was able to bear all this respect and honor flowing in upon him so suddenly and not becoming conceited and thirdly I think this is also a wonderful model of meekness upon David because he is exercising very controlled power on the part of all of this honor and accolades that he's getting not only from King Saul and the heir Jonathan but all the people I find that just amazing so Especially if he's a better soldier, and this is what we see Jonathan doing, because as a warrior himself, he knows the risk that David took in, in facing Goliath, and he knows, of course, as everyone else did, but he knows that he did not go out against Goliath, and so he respected everything about David. Yes, yes, that's a good point. I like that. Any other thoughts about this? Well, you know this had to be ordained of God because in the natural it was, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't happen. And I want you to remember her comment because that's what I was sensing as I stepped into this because I wasn't sure where I was going. 
you know, we don't talk about Jonathan too much in church. It's not that we ignore him, but there's not a lot of information on Jonathan in the Bible. And uh, as the more I probed and looked up words and things, I, I, I recognized that very strongly upon Jonathan. So thank you, because that's where I'm headed. And one of the things when you mentioned about, you know, the, the one who were the, the sling, slingers. Oh, the slingers, yes. I, I never thought, thought of it, but that must have been what David was too. You know, in, in some... I think some he became that. Skill. Yes, I think he became that. Originally he wasn't. I think it was more like a slingshot in the early days. You know, he did kill uh, a bear and uh, was it a wolf out in the fields, you know, to guard the sheep? Right. You know, a lion. 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 Thank you. I, I didn't think that sounded right. Um, so, whatever he had handy, he picked up, and that's what he used. But he was very skilled at that. But I think as he came into the court, the royal court with Saul and Jonathan, I think then he started learning to be a slinger as well. I think that's a good point. I like that. Yes. Okay. Very good. Um, before I leave this section, um, I think we can also learn um, from Jonathan how to be a true friend. You know, what they're trying to say here is that Jonathan loved David as himself. He was willing to give everything that belonged to him to David. He encouraged David in the Lord. He protected David. You know, this wasn't a friendship for the purpose of gaining something as so many friendships are in the world. You know, we see this every day in our lives. Jonathan was selfless. And this is really how we need to relate to our friends. God help us. You know, we need to embrace this with all our might. Uh, it, it's really humbling to think about this. But let's go on. Uh, the second strength is uh, courage. And this is from 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord, and here, of course, you know that means Yahweh, the purpose of God, will work or accomplish to bring forth for us. For there is no restraint or hindrance to the Lord to save by the many or by the few. And as I was growing up, that phrase from that scripture, I heard a lot in church. It would come up a lot. And I don't hear it so much today, that's okay. But I remember hearing that a lot. Let me keep reading. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold. I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. He's speaking with much faith here. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men. Within, as it were, an half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison, and the spoilers, 
they also trembled, and the earth quaked. That simply means to quiver with violent emotion. Remember the word emotion here. So it was a very great trembling. I forgot about this part of the story. I knew the story, but I forgot about that last part. So first thing I want to say here is creation obviously has very strong feelings. What do I mean by creation? I'm, I'm talking about the earth, the trees, the grass, you know, the mountains, the sun, the moon, the stars. But creation has very strong feelings here. And you know, it does say in scripture that the earth groans. And to groan means to have pain or grief. And we know that from scripture as well. But let's, let's go back to Jonathan. Jonathan tells his armor bearer, and his armor bearer is a very young man. He's probably a teenager. So that's kind of interesting too, because he followed Jonathan. He was behind him, and he slew or killed men just like Jonathan did. And he was young, he was a teenager. Um, so they, they fight the Philistines, and this is a garrison is a military post. So there's all kinds of soldiers there. I don't, I don't know how many that day. But Jonathan plans to attack, not at nighttime, which would have been much safer, but in the daytime. So I, I was looking at this a lot. Here's another scripture that I felt I needed to insert. I apologize, it's not on your page uh, there, but uh, I'll give you the scripture reference. It's 1 Samuel uh, 14, chapter 14, and it's verses one through three, and it ties in with what we're talking about here. I, and I need to read this to you. Now it came to pass, and it goes with the story, now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison. That is on the other side. Now here's the point I want to make. One of them. But he told not his father. And Saul, his father, tarried in the uppermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. So he's not by himself. And Hahiah, the son of Hittub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. So what we want to remember here is uh, King Saul was talking to the priest in Shiloh. And he was wearing the ephod. And then the last thing is, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. So you've got King Saul, the priest, and the people that did not know that Jonathan had left camp because Jonathan had a plan. He had a secret plan from God. So let's go back. Um, let, me, let me reference this to reach this Philistine garrison, this army post. Jonathan had to go over a narrow pass, and it was between two rocky cliffs. Uh, the one was named Votates, uh, which means shining, and the other one was Sinna, uh, it means thorn. So the cliff on the north was in front of Mishmash, However, the southern one was in front of Gibeah. Now, Gibeah was the native city of King Saul, and it was the capital of his kingdom. So that's the significance of those two sharp cliffs that were right there. Um, my uh, interpretation of this narrative, this part of scripture here, is that Jonathan was believing for a miracle on behalf of the nation of Israel. We know what a magnificent friend he was to David, but here he becomes God's friend as well. You know, we always talk about Abraham, the friend of God. Jonathan became God's friend. Jonathan's armor bearer tells Jonathan to respond according to the stirrings of his heart. Jonathan bravely declares that the Lord Yahweh, who represents the purpose of God, 
will work to bring forth miraculously a victory over Jonathan's enemies, no matter how many there are. Now think about this. We know the place of agape is the secret place of God's heart. And this is where we, us, saints, know him as a friend. You know, I believe that Jonathan knew in his heart how to partner with God as a friend to be empowered to demonstrate supernatural courage against the enemy. Jonathan looked for a sign, and he moved forward in faith and in the power of God to accomplish that. Now look at verse 13. It recounts how Jonathan climbs up the rock, but he climbs up the rock on all fours. He's on his hands and his knees on top of this rocky cliff. And there's no cover, he's out in the open, and he's gonna put the enemy into disarray here. The guards of the Philistines really disdained them. When they said in verse 11, the Hebrews come out of their holes where they have been hiding. Now, this banter between them, it only emboldened Jonathan the more, and his faith was strengthened. And he declares the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Now, this daring enterprise was a great success. Jonathan did not let the numbers discourage him because of his deep trust in God. He wasn't afraid to go up against such enormous opposition because he showed great courage. God concluded this defeat of the enemy with what? What was at the end of that passage of scripture? A great trembling by placing great fear and anxiety on the soldiers that fled. And it also impacted creation. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that day, which actually started the war to free Israel from their power. I did not know that until I started studying that. I, did, I was not aware of that. Wow. Nothing is impossible with God. Jonathan attacked the Philistines practically single-handedly and had success. He had achievement because he was in the will of God and looked to the Father for help. You know, we are confronted with enormous odds and difficulties, but we should not fear. If we remain in God's purpose, he will grant us victory. When the going gets tough, Will we back away in fear and keep and not keep pursuing the goal? I hope not. I hope that we push forward and you know right now in the church I see that happening. Uh, we know that our pastor has been sidelined physically right now. But we collectively, or as we say, corporately as a body, we are very united. We are not undivided. We are very united right now. And we're believing for great things from God. And we're not deterred by this little misstep. We'll call it that. Because God is with us and he has given us great courage. And we're going to accomplish great things for him in this seminar going to be very different for us, but it's going to be very powerful. Are you ready? I think we are. We just have to keep pushing forward, just like John. All right. Um, let's look at another uh, strength. Um, I like this one, too, very much. Submission to the will of God. Mm. All right. My passage of scripture is 1 Samuel 20 verses 30 through 34. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, 
Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion or shame, and unto the confusion or shame of thy mother's nakedness. This is not very nice, but we'll keep going. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore, now send and fetch unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Wow. Now, <clears throat> Saul, King Saul here, he breaks out into a very crude and savage type of passion and begins raging like a lion. He calls Jonathan an illegitimate child and a traitor. You know, uh, his father's behavior was like a barbarian, acting like a barbarian. Um, you know, this was not just a simple heated argument. Saul was completely out of control, and he throws the javelin or the spear at Jonathan to try to, try to kill him, his son, his eldest son. We know that King Saul was troubled by an evil spirit. And this could have been a demonic manifestation of it right here. For Saul knew that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. He knew that. And he was afraid of David, knowing that the Lord God abided on David very powerfully. Now, Jonathan, his eldest son, has chosen David over him. Mm. All right. As a result, Jonathan was terribly grieved and completely put into a state of total chaos with this situation. Now remember, he was shamefully insulted by his father, who called him really basically what, you know, in common English, a stupid son of a whore, is basically what he was saying to him. There was a strong feeling of fierce anger building up within him over his father's rage. He had hoped for better things, but Saul, dooming David to die, he could not bear it. So the next scene, Jonathan goes to the appointed place where David was hiding. And I'm going to pick up here with verse 42. I know you have that. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan humbly submitted himself to the will of God, even when it meant giving up his future kingdom. He didn't pursue his own interests. He didn't push for his own way. I'm sure he remembered the words of the prophet Samuel, anointing David as the next king of Israel. He realized that God wanted to establish David and not himself. Are we willing to follow God's will for our lives and put him first? Are we willing to sacrifice our plans and our hopes to follow God and submit ourselves to him? That's what Jonathan did. He gave up his future kingdom because it wasn't in God's plan. So many times saints know what is the right thing to do, but willfully reject it because it would require a sacrifice, 
or because it is not the way they want to do things. You know, I'm speaking to myself here, too, on this. Now, I've got one more scripture about submission to the will of God. I was just going to, you know, use one example, but I, I feel like I need to do one more here. Um, this is 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 18. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Zip. And Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Zip in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee, for thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul, my father, knoweth. And they, too, made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house, or the royal court. King Saul was hunting David every single day. Jonathan goes to David in the wilderness and he comforts him as a faithful and a constant friend. He reminds him of the promise of God to reign as the king and he renews because he, he, he had done that when he first met him. But he renews his alliance of friendship with him and here's what's interesting. They part ways not realizing that this is the last time they will be together. and we'll revisit this. Let's look at the next, uh, this is my last strength for Jonathan, it's loyalty. Um, now, I used this first scripture earlier when I was discussing his special traits, but I wanna use it again here in a different way, of course. Second Samuel chapter one, verse 23. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives and in their death they were not divided they were swifter than eagles they were stronger than lions and then first samuel 20 verse 2 and he said unto him god forbid thou shalt not die behold my father will do nothing either great or small but that he will show it me and why should my father hide this thing from me it is not so so you can just tell from these two passages that Jonathan was extremely loyal and true. And he saved David's life on not just one occasion, many occasions. And he was also his devoted friend. But he was also a loyal son. And he didn't reject his own father. They remained undivided, even in death. Jonathan said that his father Saul did nothing without discussing it with him first. Wow. He was pulled many directions. And he was so uh, loyal to both of them. All right, let's look at his accomplishments, Jonathan's accomplishments. Uh, this is 1 Samuel 14, chapter 14, and it's verses 43 through 46. Uh, then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand, and lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God, do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die? who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. Then Saul went up from following the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Wow. This particular incident 
follows the example I had under courage. King Saul did not know that Jonathan and his armor bearer had left camp. You know, we talked about that earlier. Meanwhile, Saul's lookouts saw the army of the Philistines running in all directions while Saul was talking with the priest under the pomegranate tree. Remember, and he had the 600 soldiers. Um, he hears, Saul hears shouting. You know, he looks up and he hears shouting and he sees the enemy killing each other. And uh, when I reread that, I, I started laughing because I could just picture that in my mind. Uh, we know that, that Jonathan made that pact with God, that secret plan with God, to go and defeat that garrison of uh, Philistines. And no one knew, no one knew that Jonathan was gone. And so here's King Saul, you know, being the proper king, talking with the priest, getting direction, spiritual direction. And they see the Philistines running by, terrified, killing each other, falling down, trembling. I'm sure that, you know, I, I just picture that in my mind. I'm sure that King Saul was like, what, what has happened? Well, as you read on in scripture, which I did not include, they did, uh, King Saul did take the soldiers and they pursued the Philistines, because there were many, and they killed them. And uh, I just laughed to myself because th they didn't know what had happened. They had no idea that Jonathan had taken his young armor bearer with him and had defeated that garrison that was in that immediate area. But then as some of them got away, they shared in the woods and in the cities and in the valleys and in the hills because remember God sent a great trembling not only to the earth but a trembling upon the people they were in great fear and they were trying to escape and get away so I, I, I just I kind of chuckle to myself when I think about that part now even all that wonderful stuff that happened one thing did occur and Saul had, and I didn't read it today because I was trying to focus on Jonathan, but Saul had declared a curse on anyone who ate before evening. And so no one was to eat anything all day. And uh, they had found that honeycomb on the ground in the forest, but they all feared Saul. So the soldiers, you know, they didn't eat. But see, Jonathan had, you know, gone away. He just kind of disappeared with the armor bearer. So he did not know that his father had given the command uh, and he had dipped his stick, Jonathan's stick, into the honeycomb. Saul, in this passage of scripture, passes the death sentence upon Jonathan, but what happens? I mean, he was going to kill his eldest son. The people saved him out of his father's hands. When the people realized Jonathan was going to die, Saul's word was no longer a law to them anymore. And with great zeal, they opposed the execution of this sentence. Wow. The people truly loved and trusted Jonathan. I think that's very powerful. All right, let's talk about uh, death here. Uh, this is 1 Samuel, chapter 31, verses 1 through 7. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount uh, Geboah. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Hebrews slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, Saul's sons, and the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through, and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, 
that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Okay, the day of recompense has now come for King Saul. He tried on numerous occasions to eliminate David. He had cursed his son and tried to kill him. Saul sees his soldiers fall about him and all his sons killed before his eyes. When Saul was going to be put to death, um, he reflected back, I'm sure, because he had spoken a curse upon himself that, you know, if he did not see this sentence executed upon Jonathan, that he would die for that. And guess what? It came to pass. This curse did return upon his own head. King Saul becomes his own executioner, and he falls on his sword. Now, as a result of this, the entire country was put into great confusion um, by the defeat of Saul's army, and the inhabitants, and I'm talking about the Israelites, fled their cities, and the Philistines took over and dwelt in their homes. King Saul had reigned 42 years in Israel, and now leaves the Philistines in control. All right, 2 Samuel 1, 25 and through 27. And this is David speaking. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O oh, Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished? Um, you know, David wrote this song or hymn to Jonathan, and um, it's entitled The Song of the Bow. Um, you know, he expresses how nothing is more wonderful in this world than a true friend that's wise, good, and faithful at all times. You know, there's nothing more distressful than the loss of, of a friend. You know, it's like uh, parting with a piece of yourself. Uh, you know, the more we love, the more we grieve. Okay, I'm doing good on time. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is Mephibosheth, and uh, this was Jonathan's son. This is 2 Samuel 4 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, his nurse, um, you know, hearing uh, of the Philistines' victory, she was afraid and that they would come immediately to where he was, the son, and get the child because she knew that he really was uh, the heir to the throne. We recognize that it was uh, Samuel's words that David would be the king, but uh, some of that wasn't always communicated to all of the people in the land. And so she knew that he was really heir to the kingdom. So she's in fear. And so evidently, when she uh, flees where she is with the child in her arms, she must have fallen with him. And in the fall, maybe his bones were broken. Um, or maybe they didn't set well. You know, I don't know. But we know that he was lame as long as he lived. He, he was not able to walk. And so this accident made him not fit for any kind of service. And then here's my last passage, um, 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 7. And David said, 
Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there any yet of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, in Lodbar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, from Lodbar. And now Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, I can't even say it now, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now, this particular incident occurred a long time after David had ascended the throne as king. Ziba was a servant to the, uh, Saul's family, and he's the one that informed the king about Jonathan's son and that he was alive. Jonathan would always be David's best friend. And he desperately wanted to show kindness to his extended family. David received Mephibosheth with kindness and assured him he would always be a constant guest at his table. He truly treated him as his own son for the sake of his friend Jonathan. You know, God is faithful to us, and we should always be faithful to one another. Jonathan was Jehovah's gift to David in many marvelous ways. He was a gifted warrior who exuded such unselfish love loyalty, humility, and most importantly, a submissive will to God. You know, we need more Jonathans today who will rise up with the Elishas and take a stand for truth and take a stand for honor. And I think that I want to say in closing I think there are Jonathans in our church. And I know that there's Jonathans in the network. Are you a Jonathan? That's a really hard question. Because to be Jonathan, you have to give up everything. You love the Lord and you're God's friend, but in the natural, you have given up everything, and you have submitted yourself to the will of God. That is really big. It's really big. And I'm kind of sad that he's gone unnoticed, not intentionally, Jonathan, in our eyes and in our Bible studies, but he was really an amazing person. And I was really taken with this as I studied it for this Sunday school lesson. And um, I've even posed this question to myself. God, am I a Jonathan? You know? It, it, what it does to me is it kind of humbles me. I, I, you know, I, I just feel kind of shaken inside, like I've been turned upside down. If you are, if you are Jonathan, know that, oh gosh, we don't always see the rewards on this side of heaven. We don't know about eternity yet. We have an idea. We think we know. But uh, I think some of you might be Jonathans. And I bless you if you accept that commissioning. 
I'm going to close, and I'm going to close in prayer, but before I do, is anyone got a comment? Because I've been doing a lot of talking this last hour. Father, I just thank you for this class and for the walk that they have accepted on behalf of you. It is a mighty walk, but it's a very self-sacrificing walk. For, for many of us, we're going to lay many things down in order to accept that mantle, that identity that you have given to us, that we need to um, project uh, here in these last days. We know that our country's in turmoil. Um, our churches are turned upside down across the entire U.S. and world. And some of us are going to be called to intercession, powerful intercession. But some of us are going to be called to, to leave and travel to places that are unknown to us in order to proclaim the truth of God's word and the saving grace of his glory and his power that can transform lives. It can make them a new person in God. It sounds easy, it is easy, but it requires great sacrifice on our part. And God, I pray that you would make us willing. Let us not be afraid to accept this commissioning if it's us he, you are calling. I ask this in your mighty name, amen.